turning to 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, I want to take a minute to um, welcome the Simmons back. I'm sitting on here and look over there and I can see Dwayne and Charlotte and glad to see them back. Uh, they have, if you're not familiar, they are missionaries in El Salvador and have been there, I think, a couple of years now. You know, time, yeah, time just flies by couple of years, and uh, we get to see uh, the result of their works many times. I think last week or the week before, we had pictures of several baptisms there in El Salvador, and we're thankful for their work. Uh, Dwayne will be sharing with us next Sunday, so we look forward uh, to that. First um, John chapter 5, verse 18. Let's just go ahead and read this short verse. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one... Who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. You know, I entitled this lesson today, The Choice to Believe. The Choice to Believe. Really focusing on the latter, the second part of that verse, where it starts with God keeps him safe. There was a man who, uh, prior to his marriage sat down with his fiance, his future wife, and said, okay, let's, let's just make a decision to begin as we begin our life together. I'll make all the major decisions in, in our marriage, and you make all the minor decisions. And he was telling this to a friend, like after 30 years of marriage, and his friend said, well, how did that work out? He said, great, I haven't made a decision in ever. <laughs> Think about it. And so... It's that choice to believe. You know, he had a choice to make there. And so we have a choice to believe that we're going to be looking at. And as we've come to the conclusion of John, these concluding remarks, he sums up the entire letter with, the, with three we knows. We know. And he has stated as a teacher at times, you know this. Over and over in the, this little letter of 1 John, we see him saying, you know, you know. And I, I imagine him as a teacher as he, did, as he does that. And then here he concludes, and this isn't the first time, but he comes in and says, we know, we know this. He includes himself in on this. And in this last section, in these three, you know, we knows, you don't say you know when you speak, by the way. You say we know. We know. He says, we know that the normal Christian life is a life of righteousness. That's what he's saying in verse 18. And we looked at that and in, in the previous lesson where he says that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The normal Christian life is not a life of sin. It's a life of not sinning. Second, we are in a safe and secure relationship with God. Verse 19. We're his children. We're going to look at that in a future lesson. Third, we live, in, uh, we live stable lives as Christians. That's in verse 20. We'll get there also. We know what is true, and we know God. And so we live in a safe and a stable and, uh, uh, situation where we have clear thinking. And we can surmise as we look at this that these were the basic truths that were taught, and we'll call it the school of John. You know, if you were to ask, State three lessons that are the basic truths of Christianity. 
that you would teach in your school if you had a little Bible school? What would that be? And I think this is what, what these were John's three main points. This is what he taught, that it's normal for Christians not to sin, that we're in a safe and secure relationship with God, and we live lives of knowing that we're stable. Our lives are clear, clarity of life. And I say that because this word know here means taught knowledge. It means intellectual knowledge. I've, I've referred to it in the past as book knowledge. This is what was taught to people. And so John is saying, we both know this because I taught it to you. I taught it to you and you listened and you learned and you made these applications in your life. But John, as a Hebrew, did not stop with book knowledge. We kind of stopped with, with book knowledge. John, as a Hebrew, never stopped there. Hebrews never stopped with just uh, book knowledge. They always applied it. And you can really see this in, in the book of Proverbs, that the wise person never was a person who just possessed information. The wise person always made application in their lives. For us, we're a little bit the opposite. We admire, we give awards to people who have book knowledge. The person with a Ph.D. is considered, really, we don't say these words, but we, we live this out. We consider that person more valuable to society, uh, more worthy than a person with just a high school diploma. You know, we don't ever say that, but that's the way we, we live our lives. The Jews, though... They, although they started with book knowledge, in fact, from the very beginning, as they went to synagogue school, the first thing they did was memorize Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. They got into the book. They began memorizing it. Uh, but they didn't stop there. The praise and the honor went to the person who made application to their lives. That was the wise person. That was the rabbis. They were honored as wise and not honored just because they were degreed. And so these three truths that John reminds his students of, and he's reminding us of these, are the fundamental facts that he is summing up of the entire letter that he has just shared with us. They're like axioms in geometry or math. Now, I went to, <clears throat> I had to cover myself here. <clears throat> I went to uh, Elliot and I said, can I say this without getting into trouble? When I start talking about mathematics and axioms and everything, he, and I told him what I was going to say, and he said, well, some people are going to be sitting in the audience, and they're going to go off and say, yeah, but here's the exception to the rule and all this, so don't go down that road. <laughs> Just focus on this, this, uh, this uh, definition here of an axiom. We, axioms are self-evident truths that require no proof. That's one definition. Or universally accepted principle or rule. And so we have some axioms, some truths here that John has stated. He says these are the propositions that we're going to work out the rest of our lives on. Just like you have you start with the axiom in math and you work out the theorems and all that to uh, based on those uh, those axioms. And so he's saying here, we as Christians live by certain axioms. We live by certain truths, certain givens. And all our life is Worked out based on those truths. And so John says, we know this. And therefore, here is the result. That's what I really wanted to get to, Elliot, was here's the result of the truths that we live by. We know that the normal Christian life 
is righteous living. Therefore, sinless living is a part of our lives. We know that we're in a safe and secure relationship as children of God. Therefore, we're free from the evil one. And the application to all these is, is, is astonishing. We know we have a stable life and that we know we have clear thinking lives. Therefore, we can speak with confidence and absolute truth of who God is. And so as believers, we have a choice whether we're going to live by these truths or not. That's where the choice comes in. Here's the truth that John says, and now you have a choice. You can live by this or you can choose not to live by this. John's presented his case not only in this letter, but in the Gospels also, in his Gospel. He, he stated these truths in his gospel, and he says, now, based on this, this is how we live. Knowing give, gives clarity to our thinking, gives direction to our lives. If truth changes, our life teeters and totters. We're unstable. James referred to this in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 8, and he's talking specifically about prayer here, but it's very applicable. I can hardly say that word. When he says, but when you ask, listen here, you must believe and not doubt. What's doubt? Doubt is the opposite of confident knowledge. And so John, uh, James here is saying when you ask, you need to do it and you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea. He's tossed back and forth by the wind. He says such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. Their life is just back and forth. I, I wonder if that's right. I wonder if this right is right. These are the fundamentals that John has stressed. And he's applied throughout the letter. And he brings this to a conclusion with these three you knows. We're still in the first fundamental. Verse 18. Last lesson, we, we, I entitled it, We're in a State of Reality. As Christians, we live in a state of reality. We live in a realm or a dominion of truth. We know we do not live in the realm of sin. We are in a new state of existence because we are a new race of people. My son-in-law, here's an example. My son-in-law, Darren, he was a member of the kingdom or the state of Fiji, the country of Fiji. That was his that was what, where he grew up. That's what he was born in. But after living here for a while, he made the decision to transfer his citizenship from the kingdom of Fiji to the kingdom of the United States. I know we don't say kingdom, but it's, you get the point. And now he is now a citizen of the United States. And that's exactly what has happened to us. We were part of the kingdom of darkness, a part of the kingdom of Satan. And now we have been transformed, transferred, and we're being transformed as we live in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of his son. And it's not that we can't choose to sin because we do at times or that we don't sin because we do sin while we're in this kingdom of light. But we're not in dominion, we're not under the rule and authority of the power of Satan. We're under a new power. We're under a new authority. We have a new king. He's the king of kings. We're in the process of maturing more and more into his likeness. And so sin, as we mature, becomes more and more distasteful in our lives. Sin doesn't feel right. 
is beginning to lose its glamour and its appeal. And when we sin, even when some of you who have matured in Christ, even as you sin those little sins that used to not bother you at all, they begin to bother you. They're, they're, like, they're, dis, they're, they're distasteful to you. The impatience that you used to take for granted now bothers you. Why? Because you're in the kingdom of light. And you're being taught that's not kingdom living. And so those little sins that you used to say, well, that's just, that's just me. That's just normal. And it was normal when you were in the kingdom of darkness. It's no longer normal. Yes, we do not sin, as John says. We do not exist in this state of sin. And it's so incredible that we, we hardly believe it. You hear me saying these things and you think, oh, it's theoretical, it's, it's theological, but it's not. It's true. And I've stated in the, in the past, the good news is so good, you can hardly believe it. So that's why it comes down to choice. That wonderful gift that God has given us that makes us human, the gift of choice. And we have the freedom of choice. We can choose to do things God's way and believe things God says. Or we can choose what I think is just following your feelings, whatever the world says. And so we come to this choice of belief. Think about this. Everyone chooses to believe something. Everyone chooses to believe something. Even the choice of not choosing is a choice. If you choose not to choose, you've made a choice. You've chose to believe and put your faith in unfaith by not choosing. Everyone walks by faith and not by sight. It's just a matter of where and what and in whom you're placing your faith. And one of the things I've stated over and over for 10 years, 11 years, however long I've been up here, is Christians learn how to think. Christians learn how to make choices in their lives. Let me give you some examples of faith statements of unfaith. I know you can't know. How do you know that? All right, you're going to have to think with me here. You can't be sure or certain about anything. I've had people say that. You can't be sure or certain about anything. Are you sure about that? Nothing is absolute. Truth is subjective. How sure, how absolutely sure are you, tr- are you, are you sure about that? And you see how this is self-conflicting. It's trying to make statements. In trying to make a statement that truth is subjective or flexible or just kind of goes with whatever is happening in society today, it's a self-contradictory statement. Are you with me? Can you see that? And so even when we say, I don't believe, or you can't believe, or you can't know, by even stating that, you're contradicting yourself. You're saying, I can know that I can't know. Well, how do you know? You see, the world, we need to realize, we live in a confused world. This is the world of darkness. This is the world. This is the way the world is. It's confused. And you don't have to look at a lot of Internet, and you don't have to look look at a lot of TV to see the confusion in this world. Let me give you a quick example. I think it was this past week, Monday or so, there was an incident on the arsenal. It was locked down. There was a, uh, a reported shooting that ended up not happening But everyone that I talked to who who worked out in the arsenal said, 
boy, the procedures, they were just the, the security came in there and they locked down. They just it was smooth. It was it was great the way they did that. They made sure everyone's protected. They did everything right, except when you get on the Internet and you start reading the comments. It's amazing how many people were just off the wall, crazy at how bad this was. Now, if you're one of those people, excuse me. <laughs> but my point is this. They seem to have followed procedure exactly the way it's supposed to be to keep you safe. And no matter what they did, it was wrong to some people. And that's true with every area of life. We go through life, and it doesn't matter. You think, oh, that's true, and, it's, and someone comes with an opposite. I, I stopped reading, for the most part, all the comments that people have on, on these Internet. You, know, you read an article, and then they have the comments. I just stopped reading those comments because it doesn't matter what is stated. You have the, the opinions are confusing. What's right? What's wrong? And that's the reason is because Satan's influence on this world is to, distort, is to distort and confuse. That's the world we live in. His work is to confuse us. Our universities, our high schools, our media is a source of ed- education and lessons of not knowing and lessons of confusion. And so as you listen and read things, you need to be thinking. You need to use your mind and compare it to what the Word of God says because it's full of confusion. Don't take your newspapers, don't take your internet, don't take uh, your television as truth. Because most of the time, it's not. It's confusion. And I don't care which side you're on, all right? I don't care which side of the media you're on. They're both full of confusion. But in the midst of all that confusion, chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light. God in the middle of this dark world brings light. He brings clarity. He tells us, this is what's true. How can you know what's true in this world of confusion? Because God says, this is true. He re-educates our darkened minds. We can know. And it's an act of love on God's part when we can know. When he gives us information. I think our next slide here, throw that up there. Confusion. I like this one. My life has become this one big I don't know. That's how a lot of people go through life. I just don't know. And yet he says, God says, we can know. We can know these things because God tells us in his word what is truth, what is right. Live this way, he says, you will live right. Live this way, you can live in confidence. You can have clear thinking. You, will li- you live in the, in the realm of reality is another way I've stated it. The realm of reality, the word reality and truth is very similar in, in, in the Bible. You live in real world when you follow God's word. The world is dark. The world decries these absolutes, this certainty of, of knowing. They said that's intolerant to say, I know. That's arrogant. That's intolerant. You must be tolerant of all beliefs sounds right. It sounds nice. It sounds good. But God says love is to point out sin and say that's wrong. That's darkness. That's death. That's destruction. Don't go there. That's love. There's danger there. There's destruction there. Don't go that direction. 
And so it's love to point to Christ who is light, who is life, and says, that's the way to the Father. That's the way to clear thinking. That's the way to truth. He is the truth. And so we come to these three concluding absolutes or three concluding truths in verse 18, 19, and 20. And in this first one that we're looking at, we see that it's normal life for the Christian to live a life of righteousness. It's normal for the world to think you're strange. Don't try and change. Don't try and change the world because the world, if they think you're strange, you're probably doing the right thing. We know that we don't live in this state of sin. We, we don't feel that sometimes. See, we go by our feelings. We don't feel it sometimes. And perhaps we actually feel the opposite at times. But God says, listen, here's reality. As a Christian, you live in the state of forgiveness. That's reality. Do you feel that way? No. Do you always feel forgiven? No. But God says, if you're in Christ, you live in a state that I call forgiveness. I call it the kingdom of light. That's where you exist. Well, how do I know? Because God said it. That's how you know. Not because you feel it, but because God said it. We know that sin is abnormal. We know that righteousness is comfortable. We know that this righteousness is the air we breathe. We know our normal behavior is to say no to sin. And to say yes to righteousness. Second Timothy, uh, Second Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. One of my favorite passages says, For the grace of God. What does the grace of God do? He says the grace of God, when you begin to really understand it, when you begin to really know it, he says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And this is an emphatic word here, this no. It means absolutely not. He says, this teaches us to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, you know this, you K-N-O-W know this, because this past week, when, when you sinned, whatever it was, something said to you, no. I'm not talking about a, a voice from the sky. I'm talking about your conscience said, no, stop doing that. That's wrong. And so God's grace is teaching you to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions, worldly feelings, just going with the world. And to do what? To say yes to self-controlled lives, to upright living, godly lives. That's what God's grace teaches us to do. And so we choose to live in this no. And if we choose to live in this no, K-N-O-W, two results will happen. And that's the second half of this verse. This will be secure in the kingdom of, of light. The one born of God keeps him safe, safe, the NIV says. It guards, it protects, that keeps him safe, guards and protects. And I love these pictures of mom and dad or granddad there, whoever it is, holding those children tight. Because that's the, that's the visual. This past Friday night, uh, we had... Ayana and Tui spend the, our grandchildren spend the night with us. We had them out on the pallets and put them in their, on the floor. And like, you know where Big Don and Jima are, you know, in, in the night if you need us. And put them to bed. Took them forever to go to sleep, but they finally went to sleep. And I mean, I was in a deep, deep sleep. And I heard Julia, 
say, Tui, what's wrong? Well, he woke up. He's, I don't know how old he is now. How is he, four? Four, okay. Thank you. Asked another grandchild. <laughs> he woke up and he didn't know where he was. Have you ever done that? Remember, as a child, you wake up in another house and you don't know where you are. And I heard Gemma say, Tui, what's wrong? And he was just sobbing. I mean, heartbroken sobs. And she took him in his arms and her arms just held him tight. And he felt secure and safe. And Big Dog had to lay down with him until he went back to sleep. <laughs> and the same reason, to make him feel secure and safe. And so that's what this word is, keeps him safe. Safe in that sense. And this is difficult to translate. And the reason I'm saying that is because many of you have so many translations on your, your, uh, in your Bibles and can see different things. Some translations make this say, the born-again person, you, keeps yourself safe from sin. Okay? Other ones, like the NIV, say, the one born of God, referring to Jesus, keeps you safe. And it has to do with verb tenses and pronouns, and only grammar nuts would enjoy that, so I'm not going there. But here's the bottom line. One, one writer said this. It does not make much difference whether the Christian guards himself or God guards him for only the Christian status as a child of God enables him to protect himself. That's the key. I can protect myself as a child of God, if you want to translate it that way, or you can say, or God keeps me safe, it doesn't matter which way it is. It's the same result. Because it's not within my own power that I'm keeping myself safe. It's within the relationship that I have with God. And again, that just drives us back to this Christ-centric, God-centered life. All through First John, he keeps driving us back there. We're to be God-centered. We're to be Christ-centered and not self-centered. It's not under my own power that I'm kept safe from sin and its consequences. I have an older brother who knows my weakness. He's experienced the same trials I have. He went through all of it without sin. And because of his sinless death, I come in union with God. I become his child. That's my new status. That's my relationship with him. My security now is not based on how well I'm doing. It's, it's not based on how good I am. But it's, and it's not based on how well I have even stopped sinning. But it's in the work that God did that transformed me out of one kingdom to the other. That took me out of the kingdom of darkness and put me into in the kingdom of light. Who took me from the evil one and put me with his son. And because of that, the second result, I'm protected from the kingdom of death. The evil one cannot harm him. Listen, the evil one cannot harm him. Literally, this means the evil one cannot touch him. Now, this touch isn't this kind of touch you know, where you just touch with a finger. The word means to cling, to grab onto someone. It says the evil one can't grab hold of you and cling to you. Satan does that. He wants to do that. And, and God says, not so with the Christian anymore. He's not going to hold on with you. 
He, Satan, delights in death. He delights in sickness. He delights in rebellion and sin. This is his purpose. John chapter 10, verse 10. Let me see if I can get over in my Bible there. John 10, verse 10. I know it's on the screen, but I'm going to... I think it's on the screen, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Ah, that's it right there. 10, 10. I want to read. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come that they may have life, and they may have it to the full. And then if you go over to John 17, John 17, verse 15, he says, um, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Jesus is praying to God here, and he's praying about his disciples. And, and as a grandfather, sometimes I just want to take them away from my grandchildren, away from harm. And he says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. They're not in this kingdom of the world, even as I am not. And then, uh, let's see, my prayers are... Um, well, my vision has gone bad. But in, in, in that second, same section, he says, but my Father protects them. He protects us, and our Father protects them. And then over in uh, Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 39, I love this passage, back up to verse 37... No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now listen, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, he leaves nothing out, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that picture. Here we have the lion, and I think of the lion of Judah. That little cub is in the grasp of that lion. You think anything's going to touch that cub? Look at that cub. Look at his face if you can see it. Can you see it there? Man, he's just chilled out <laughs> because he's got his great big daddy there protecting him, his arm around him. And when I saw that picture, I said, that's, that's the picture of us in Jesus. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. Nothing's going to take us out of his grasp. But it comes down to this choice of belief or unbelief. That's really where it comes down to in our lives. Because the only thing I know that can remove us from the kingdom of light is our own choice. God did not take away our freedom of choice when we became a Christian. We can choose belief. We can choose unbelief. All the powers of hell cannot break you from the grip of God's grace. Only you can walk away from the security of Christ. My paraphrase of this verse says this. We absolutely know that anyone who is born out of God is no longer wrapped up in sin Continuing to live in the state and dominion of sin. For the one from God protects, guards, and keeps a close eye on him. The evil one cannot get him back into his clutches. And that's the good news of chapter 5, verse 18. If you're outside, if you're in that kingdom of darkness, if you have never made that, that commitment to him, like these two young men did this past Sunday when they looked at their lives and said, that's not right. That's not the way I want to live. 
there's got to be a better way. And they were taught in God's word, there is a better way. But part of that is turning away from your own life, the way you want to live. That's called repentance. And you come into this relationship as you are buried in this water of baptism as an act of faith. As you're responding to, to God and the Bible says, and you, are, you rise up out of, the, out of that water to live a new life. You are a new person. Those are two new people. A week ago, they were of the old race. This week, they're of the new race. New life. New living. And so if you're in that kingdom of darkness, this is your opportunity to come into the kingdom of light. 